If you're just joining us, we are looking at the Gospel according to Matthew. And it's not the Gospel of Matthew, it's the good news of Jesus. It's the Gospel of Jesus, but it's, it's the, um, the Gospel according to his follower, Matthew. You know what a follower is, don't you? You've got followers on Facebook and Instagram. Well, Matthew's not that kind of follower. He's not a, uh, an Instagram follower. He's not your social media follower. He's a follower of Jesus in the sense that he has left his whole life behind to follow Jesus. Like he, he's quit his job. He's changed his career. He's probably had to give up many friends and associates that he knew. He's probably had to um, give away uh, the place where he lived. He's probably had to give away many of his possessions. And he followed Jesus for about three years or so. And he has diligently studied the things that he taught and the things that he did. And he's written those down in a book. And we are privileged to have that book. And we can learn from one of Jesus' close followers exactly the kind of person that Jesus was. So far, we've seen in chapters 1 and 2, we saw the the childhood of Jesus. We saw how he was born, how right from the beginning he was a king who who came into this world to challenge the current kings and rulers and authorities. In chapter 3 and 4, we looked at this last week. The ministry of Jesus began, and it began through him being baptised by John the Baptiser, and then through the temptations that he endured in the wilderness. And then after those tests, he went, he, he found his, his first followers and called them to follow after him. And then um, he started preaching. He started preaching a very simple message. The message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So now the the introductory chapters are over and we're getting into the real core of the book. This is the main message of what Jesus was all about. And as we've pointed out before, many people misunderstand Jesus and there are a lot of of misconceptions as to what his main mission was all about. A lot of people think that Jesus was just this glorified social worker who came to tell us that we need to love each other more. And even though that was part of Jesus' message... If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, it's very clear that that's not the core of what Jesus came to do. And of course, it makes no sense that they would have put Jesus to death and brutally murdered him if his message was simply that we need to love each other more. Jesus was spreading instead quite a revolutionary message. And the message was of a totally new and counterintuitive way of life. This way of life was going to be completely opposite to what the world had generally done. And in Matthew, there is a clash of the way that Jesus was presenting the kingdom of heaven versus the way that the world works, the kingdoms of the world. You know, a couple of decades after Jesus dies and and, um, his followers are still going out and, and preaching the message. There's a really good example of the kind of message that they were spreading. They weren't just going town to town and saying, we need to love each other more and we need to care about people more. The message was far more revolutionary than that. They went to a Greek city. It was called Thessalonica. It's still um, a city in Greece today. And this town was really agitated when the Christians arrived. Because they knew, they're not here just to tell us to love each other. They're here, and it says in Acts 17, verses 4 through 7, it it says very clearly, 
these Christians who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And they're saying that there's a new king. That Caesar's not king anymore. But instead, Jesus is the king of this world. And that, that's the message that Matthew is trying to get through as well. That Jesus is teaching a revolutionary message about a new kingdom and a new king that's come to this world. So our text from this week is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's perhaps um, one of the most famous parts of Jesus' story. If you go to someone's house and you see a quote on a wall and it's a quote by Jesus, there's a strong chance that it would have come from these three chapters here, the Sermon on the Mount. It's really good that people love these chapters. It's fantastic that people often, if they're going anywhere in Matthew, they'll often go to Matthew 5, 6 and 7 to the Sermon on the Mount to hear these words. And I'm not taking anything away from from that and the importance of these chapters. But people sometimes remove this sermon from the story that Matthew is telling here. The point that I want you to understand this morning is that the Sermon on the Mount is not just a random ethical teaching that Jesus brought. It's not just... People take it almost out like it's a little separate booklet on ethics that Jesus came to give us. And they take it away from the whole story that Matthew is telling about Jesus and this new message of the kingdom. So let's not do that this morning. Let's not take this in separation from the rest of Jesus' life and teachings. But rather see what Matthew was saying when he put this sermon in the centre of Jesus' life and mission. The Sermon on the Mount, then, is a clear picture of what the Kingdom of Heaven is all about. In fact, you can't even read through the Sermon on the Mount without encountering Jesus keeping on bringing his teaching back to the Kingdom of Heaven. Jesus has announced that the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand, and the Sermon on the Mount is him telling us this is what it's going to look like. This is a sneak peek into what this wonderful Kingdom is that our Saviour was bringing So, he says this sermon um, by the Sea of Galilee. um, We don't know exactly where it was. It doesn't give us the exact mountain. But um, early on in Christian history, um, a bunch of people decided that they picked out a random mountain uh, next to the Sea of Galilee called the Mount of Beatitudes. Well, they named it the Mount of Beatitudes. And and it was a mountain something like this. Um, If any kids are... Um, tuning in and you want something to draw for this lesson, I recommend drawing Jesus on a mountain next to the Sea of Galilee and, and teaching his disciples who were, who were sitting there. So you can kind of get the scene. He's, he goes up onto a mountain and he gives this, this sermon. And the sermon is split into three distinct parts and the chapter divisions in our modern Bibles break it down into the three parts of the sermon. The first part is Chapter 5, looking at how the kingdom of heaven works, not just on an external level, but on an internal level, in in your very heart. In chapter 6, how the kingdom of heaven works in public life. In chapter 7, how the kingdom of heaven works with the warnings that come along, um, with, uh, with warnings that you need to adhere to regarding this new way of life and um, things that you might not have thought about or might not have prepared for. So we're going to take it chapter by chapter. This is kind of going to be a a rush through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I really hope that you read through the Sermon on the Mount this week. If you're doing the um, devotional booklets that we've handed out, you will have uh, the readings coming from the Sermon on the Mount this week. But we're going to go through a very quick 
run through all of the concepts that Jesus talks about here, or at least the major concepts, and discuss what the kingdom of heaven really looks like. And he starts with chapter 5, looking at um, the kingdom of heaven in your heart. So, he starts, there, there are essentially four major discussion points in this chapter. The first is looking at the Beatitudes, the second is looking at anger, third is lust, and fourth is retaliation. So let's start with the Beatitudes. Sometimes um, the Beatitudes can be a bit confusing because um, they're very counterintuitive, they're very upside down, um, they seem to be saying the, the opposite of what we think is, is normally true. Sometimes we turn the Beatitudes into a list of things that we have to do. And uh, even though I encourage you to to try and and become more like the person that is seen in the Beatitudes here, um, I think that that's perhaps not exactly what Jesus is getting at. The, The core of the Beatitudes is teaching us the kind of person that will be open to receive the kingdom of heaven. This kind of person that's described in these eight points here, this kind of person who has these attributes, it starts and finishes with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, saying this person is going to be welcoming the kingdom of heaven into their life and it's going to be very easy for them to accept the kingdom of heaven into their life. So the Beatitudes go like this. And if you've got your Bible open, Matthew uh, chapter 5 is where we'll be getting uh, this from. And just follow along as we're, as we're going through um, these major points. Matthew chapter 5. The first Beatitude there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, whether this is talking about physical poverty or spiritual poverty, poverty is about lacking something. It's about having an an absence in your life of something that you desire. The opposite of poverty is abundance. People who have abundance are not going to be too receptive to this new kingdom of heaven coming into their life because they've got everything together already. It's the people who are lacking. It's the people who have some hole in their life that they are searching for something more. Um, Sometimes we say, oh, this is definitely referring to spiritual poverty or this is definitely physical poverty. And I would say often those things are, are related to each other. It's, Jesus makes it very clear that spiritual poverty and physical poverty often go hand in hand. So we need to be careful not to try and separate those two too far. Jesus is saying the people who are lacking something in their life, Theirs is going to be the kingdom of heaven. They're going to welcome something new, something more to come in and bless their lives. Second one is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. People who are mourning are not content. They're yearning for something else. The opposite of mourning is being happy and content. Blessed are the people who are upset, who are disturbed, who are agitated. Blessed are the people who don't sit idly by and watch the problems of this world and sit in comfort and luxury. Blessed are those people who look at the problems that are in this world and who are so upset at this and who don't take an anaesthetic to numb the pain, who don't um, try and get out of the pain through just putting on the TV or or opening up social media or or, um, getting another meal ready Blessed are people 
who are really sad about the state of events that the world is in, when they see injustices, when they see things that are really wrong in this world, and they're not happy to watch them just go by, blessed are you who mourn about the state of injustice, about the state of things not being right, because the kingdom of heaven will bring you comfort. The next verse, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That is the, the humbled people. People who are proud don't want a new king to bow down to in their lives. It's the humble, it's the meek who are seeking a new king who they can serve and submit to. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you just are happy with the world ticking along as it is, if you're comfortable with all of the wrongs that you see around you, if it doesn't upset you and set you on edge that there are all sorts of things that are wrong with this world. There are all sorts of problems in this country and overseas. People who don't have a a fair go. There are people who have all sorts of problems in their lives and they're mistreated and they're abused and, and people who are susceptible to powerful people controlling them. If that doesn't stir up some hunger in you, some hunger for things being right, for, for the world being put right, you know, hunger is, you know what it means when you're hungry, don't you? Uh, hunger is when you can't think about anything else but your next meal. Hunger is when you'd really love to be continuing on doing your work, but you just need to get up and, and get that snack and fill your tummy because you can't focus on anything else until you're filled Blessed are you if you're hungry and you're thirsty for things being right. You're the kind of person that's going to welcome the kingdom of God. You're one of the blessed ones. Because you're paying attention to something that God's paying attention to. And he will be putting these things right. And these things will be put right through the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy is a simple, a small, an insignificant but important act to show care, compassion and forgiveness to someone else. Mercy is usually something that happens on a small scale. It's not something that makes it into the news. It's not something that people shout about and and talk about. It's usually just a small thing that you do to people around you, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your family, your friends, people at work, that old grumpy guy that lives down the road who always complains that, you know, you're playing your music too loud or always complains about something. And instead of responding in kind, you show mercy and you offer to mow his lawn. Not because he deserves it, because merciful, merciful people don't walk around the world dividing the world into people who deserve it and people who don't. Merciful people don't look at the world like that. They just show mercy. They just show compassion to people. And it doesn't matter whether they deserve it or not. Those kinds of people are going to love the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is all about mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. When your affections are pure, when they're, not, when they're not mixed, when you don't have a bit of love for this and a bit of love for that, but when your affections are pure and on God, you don't care about the opinions of others. You're not living a life to try and impress other people. You simply care about seeing and knowing God. And blessed are you because the kingdom of heaven is going to be a welcome thing in your life. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
People who take the opportunities that they have to mend broken relationships that they see around them. People who don't just care about their own relationships, but when they see other people who are in a broken relationship, when, there are, are a com- when there's conflict and when there are fights and when there is hurt and when there is pain around them. Blessed are those people who get in the way and fix things, mend things, put things back together, even if they get hurt in the process. Peacemakers are going to love the kingdom of God because they're going to serve the king whose whole purpose was to reconcile two parties who were disconnected. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. If I'm living the kingdom of heaven way, I'm going to come into conflict. You know, driving on the left side of the road is fine if you live in a country where everyone drives on the left side of the road. But if you go to the United States and you try to live a left side of the road driving pattern in a right side of the road culture, you're going to have conflict and collision, aren't you? And Jesus is saying, I want you to live a kingdom of heaven way in the kingdom of the world. And you're going to have conflict and people are going to be upset. And for no justifiable reason, they're going to hate you and persecute you. And if you're okay with that, the kingdom of heaven is going to be a welcome thing for you. He then goes on and he describes in the next little bit about anger. He talks about how in this kingdom, we're not going to have a standard that says don't kill people. That's not going to be our standard for for right and wrong. We're going to go way beyond that. The standard is going to be so much deeper. It's going to be, if you are angry at people and curse at people, that's a fundamental problem with your pride and your arrogance. It's fundamentally the same problem that underlies why people murder other people. It's not okay. If you say to your neighbour, Raka, um, in verse 22, it says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, or or raka, um, of course, you don't actually say raka, do you? Because you don't speak ancient Aramaic. I don't know why they didn't translate that there, but the word raka means empty. It means if you say to someone else, "You're, you're less, you're a nobody, you're worthless, you're empty. If you um, degrade someone's value, even if it's just in an insult that you give, if you're looking at yourself as elevated and above someone else, that's a fundamental problem with your pride and arrogance. And that attitude is completely unwelcome in the kingdom of heaven. He looks at lust in the next section. He says, in this kingdom, we're not just going to have a standard that says, don't commit adultery, don't cheat on your spouse, don't have an affair and then you're fine. He says, it's, it's way deeper, it's way bigger than that. We're going to say, don't even play those things out in your head. Even in your heart, in, in your private life, don't go there. The kingdom of heaven is not just about uh, obey these, these big outward rules, but but change your whole way of thinking. Don't even think about people in that way if it's wrong and if you're degrading other people. He says, finally, in retaliation, he talks about um, in this kingdom, we're not just going to have a standard that says love people who love you. Don't just protect your mates. Look after people who hate you. Look after people who are grumpy. Look after people who don't care about you. Or actively dislike you. 
doesn't matter if you know, they vote for the same politician that you do. It doesn't matter whether they um, support the same causes that you do. It doesn't matter anything about them. You love your friends, you love your enemies. That's the standard in the kingdom of heaven. Are these things normal? Absolutely not. Is this a normal way to live? No, this is not the kingdoms of the world way of living, is it? It's a completely new and counterintuitive way of looking at life. Jesus is saying that, you know, you're reassuring yourself and saying, well, I don't kill people, so I should be fine. I don't cheat on my spouse, so I should be fine. And he's saying, are you kidding? Is that really your standard? Like, do, do you think that, that that's the standard that you're called to live for? Like, pat yourself on the back. Congratulations, you didn't kill anyone. You've got a whole lot more work to do, buddy. The next stage is chapter 6. And in this we look at the kingdom of heaven as it affects our public life. Look at giving to start off with. And again, this is a contrast between the way the world works the way the kingdom of heaven is going to work. Why do most people give things? What's a great reason that the world gives for giving and donating things? It's often to get something from it. It's so that you get some recognition. You get some status. You get some applause. You get some favour with people. In uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Look, people love to give in order to gain status. That's not the kingdom of heaven way. Kingdom of heaven way is you give to charities. You give to people who are in need. You donate as much of your time and abilities as you can. And if you get no recognition, and if nobody sees it, and there is zero applause for it, and good for you, because that's exactly what the kingdom of heaven is about. You do good, and there is absolutely no motive of self-elevation. He turns to praying in the next section, and he says, look, religious people love to pray in public. It's nice to stand in front of others and, and have them think that, oh, he's a good prayer, and oh, he must be very devout and very religious, and you know, the, the um, attitude that they have towards you will just grow and grow. They, they'll love how good you are and your ego will grow and grow. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about putting on a show so that people approve of you. It's about having a devout, private devotion to God. And other people's opinions of you mean nothing at all. They're not important. You're not a slave to other people's approval anymore. You're free to live the real you. And the real you should be someone who prays to God because they have a sincere relationship with God. He goes to fasting and he says, you know, what? why do people fast? In, in Jesus' time, people used to go without food and used to uh, go without things so that they would look really devout. And it would be seen as a, a great religious thing to do. And there are a lot of people who love to be religious so that they're seen to be religious. I'm sure you can think of someone in your life who, you know, someone at work who's a religious person and they love telling people how religious they are or love um, talking about how religious they are. And maybe you see that person when you look in the mirror. 
um, a person who loves to look religious because it gains them a lot of favour and people approve of them. And Jesus is saying, he's not saying don't fast or don't pray or don't give. He's saying when you do those things, that has nothing to do with other people and their opinions of you. That should be between you and your bedroom walls. That's all the, the knowledge that should go on about your inner religious devotion. He then says about worrying. He finishes off chapter 6 talking about worrying. He's saying, the world worries. Even people who have food and clothing in abundance, they worry, they have anxiety. Even people who have thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands in the bank still worry. The kingdom of heaven way is don't serve money, serve God instead. And if you serve God, you're going to conquer over your fears of not having enough. You're going to conquer over your, your stress that you have to provide for yourself and you have to um, rely on your own power and resources. Kingdom of heaven way, totally different to the kingdoms of the world. And finally, in chapter 7, this is the warnings stage. The warnings are, again, fourfold. The first one is on hypocrisy. In chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. Of course, he's talking about judging with a hypocritical mindset. He's talking about judging with a... um, Uh, being able to see the flaws in others more than you can see the flaws in yourself. And he says, look, that's not the way that the kingdom of heaven works. It's not about judging other people and pointing out their flaws and avoiding your own flaws. The person who is going to receive the kingdom of heaven is going to be able to uh, analyse themselves, uh, go in times of of self-reflection, And dig deep into their soul to find out their true motives and and who they really are. And be able to to refine their souls and take out the the bad bits. Take out the specks or the logs that might be there. The second warning he gives is about two ways. Two ways that you can go. One's difficult and narrow. One's easy and it's wide. Following Jesus is about always, every day... Choosing the counterintuitive, upside-down, difficult, narrow path. And notice that this comes directly after the golden rule. So in verse 12, it says in Matthew 7 and verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying that is the difficult way. That's the, the narrow path, and it's going to be hard to walk down that path to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the path of the kingdom of heaven. He gives another warning. He talks about wolves in sheep's clothing uh, and talks about people who... You need to evaluate people by their fruit because there are going to be people who are in in a bad spot, people who might look good on the outside, but inwardly they're not pure in heart. They're not of those characteristics that the kingdom of heaven is about. And finally, he warns in this final section on on people who are all talk and no show. People who, they love listening to the words of Jesus. You know, they tune in, they hear a message, they read their Bible, they they love listening to these wonderful words. They sound so nice. But they walk away and they're unchanged. They, they, They go through this week, you know, we've just heard the Sermon on the Mount this week. 
And if your behavior is exactly the same and completely unmoved by the contents of this passage, we've got to be so careful that we're not hearing these words and not putting them into practice. He says in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, three chapters. Three chapters on the way of the kingdom of heaven compared to the ways of the kingdoms of this world. And here's how it finishes in Matthew 7 and verses 28 and 29. Matthew seven twenty-eight and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The word there is astonished or A lot of translations have amazed. Uh, I think amazed doesn't really do it justice. We use the word amazed in all sorts of uh, sentences today. You know, um, uh, try this pizza, it's amazing. Or, you know, I taught my dog to roll over, it's amazing. Um, It kind of means everything and so it means nothing. The word astonish is a bit better, but the Greek word itself is um, ekplaiso. The word plaiso means to hit or to punch. It's saying there, people who heard Jesus' words were punched. They were, it was like someone had gone, it was like Jesus himself with his words, with his teaching. He hit them with them. And Matthew is going to tell you all sorts of crazy things that happened to Jesus, all sorts of astonishing things. But the only time he uses this word, ekplaseo, is in regards to the things that Jesus taught. He uses it again in Matthew 13 and in chapter 19 and chapter 22, always after Jesus' teaching. You know, Jesus walked on water. No, but it was the words that he spoke that punched people in the face. Jesus raised from the dead, but it doesn't say they were punched in the face because of that. It says that when they heard his teachings, they were like a punch. They were like someone was hitting them in the face. Jesus wasn't some ho-hum, mystical, spiritual, mediocre guru. I want you to read um, the Sermon on the Mount this week if you can. And if you're following our devotional books, that's what you'll read. Um, I hope and pray that it hits you in the face. I hope that these words aren't so ingrained in you that you just read over them and, and hear them once again. I hope that they really jump out and hit you like they did to the people who first heard that message. Here's the, the main point is the Sermon on the Mount is a challenging and unintuitive new way to live. And it's a clear picture of what the kingdom of heaven is all about. If you're listening to this message and you're thinking, wow, I'm a long way away from that. Um, those, those attitudes, those behaviours, that kind of life, I'm just so far away. I don't think I could ever get there. I want to encourage you um, that you should never, ever be deterred from trying because Jesus' whole ministry was about people who looked like they were a long way from the kingdom of heaven but were actually quite close. And he rebuked those who looked like they were close to the kingdom of heaven but we're actually very, very far away. Please don't deter... Please don't let this deter you from trying the kingdom of heaven way. You don't have to be perfect to begin. You don't have to be perfect to join. 
You don't have to be perfect. That's not the entry requirement before you make Jesus the king of your life and start serving in his kingdom. In case you missed it, Jesus is the king of this kingdom and Jesus exemplifies the mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation that we've been talking about. And he is more than willing to be merciful to you, to forgive you and to reconcile with you. And if you know anything about Christians, you know that we sure don't get everything right. And thankfully, the entrance into this new kingdom way of life is not through our perfection. In fact, it is through the greatest act of mercy when God forgave us of our sins and gave us a fresh start. And the choice is here once more that Matthew puts before us. What kind of life are you going to live? Kingdoms of the world? Or are you going to... Um, change your kingdom. Are you going to join the kingdom of heaven?